0: One of the things I love about being part of Central is just the number of people and and families we have who are committed to adoption and foster care. Uh, It just shines so brightly, your desire to to care for those in need and and to show the love of God for others. It it has been personally just uh, an incredible blessing for my wife and I. See, what some of you might not actually know is that it was just actually a few weeks after I started uh, here at Central, that I was sitting in a doctor's office, not unlike many of you have, and I was told that I wouldn't be able to have kids. Uh, It was trying to figure out why that was the case, that a few months later, I was diagnosed with cancer. And after all the dust had settled from that, I was told once again, that the chances of us having biological children were essentially none. And I say that because I know that we're not the only couple who's had to wrestle through that, even here at Central. And that's where it has been such a blessing to be here and to be encouraged by so many of you. Just over two years ago now, uh, my wife and I applied to be adoptive parents through the ministry here in BC. And I am very happy to say, one month ago, my wife and I adopted two kids into our family. Our daughter Nova is three and our son Cyrus is two. So when COVID is all over and you see me with a three-year-old, no, it hasn't actually been three years. It just feels like it has. But if you uh, have gone through adoption, you know what this last month has been like for us. It has been absolutely wonderful and incredibly challenging. It has been exhausting and beautiful all at the same time. And every once in a while, I get just, just a few moments to, to kind of sit and reflect, but it still seems very surreal to me that, that we have children. It seems like I've been dropped into someone else's life. It, it still is kind of settling in. We, we've gone from, from strangers to now family. Two months ago, I had never met these children. Now they run up and they call me dad and yet that's exactly what adoption is. It's it's the transformation of strangers into family. And see, that's why we're actually talking about adoption in a series on our salvation. We've been walking through this series called Jesus Saves, looking at, at, at what actually our salvation is. What does it consist of? How do we understand it? And last week, we looked at justification. Pastor Matt walked us through uh, this doctrine, and it it is foundational really to understanding everything else in our salvation, that we are declared righteous before God, not because we did anything or enough, but because of what Jesus has done. We are declared righteous by faith because of Him. And in fact, our sins are paid for on Jesus, and we are given His perfect record of righteousness. We are justified. That is, our legal standing has been changed before God. So, if, you, if that is still confusing to you, stop, pause here, go back, listen to last week, and, and understand because that is, the, that is the groundwork of our salvation. It's the foundation that everything else is really going to be built on. But even as I say that, even as it is the foundation, it is not Everything that is contained in our salvation is not complete to simply stop there. Justification is the change of our legal status before God. Adoption is the change of our relational status before God. That, That we change actually now who we are, where we belong, our identity, our future, all of it is changed because of what God has done because we are adopted into His family. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look into the Word and see what it is God actually has to say about adoption. What does He mean when He says we are adopted? See, lots of us come from from families, well, all of us come from families. Some, Some are great, some are not so great. But the truth is, no matter what kind of family you come from, There has never been a family so bad that it could keep you from our heavenly Father, and there is no family on earth so good that it is anything more than a shadow of what is to come. And so what I want us to do is to to look into the Word of God and see what does God actually say about our salvation. So if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open to the book of Romans. Romans. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be today, and we're going to start in verse 14. So, brothers, sisters, this is the word of our Father. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Amen. This is one of the most precious promises we are given in Scripture. We are adopted into God's family. So I want us to just walk through this passage and, and help us understand what does Paul mean when he says we are adopted? What, what is God telling us? And so Paul here, he really outlines sort of three main benefits of being part of God's family. The first is that we are given a, a place of belonging, right? We are given a place to belong. The second, we are given assurance of adoption. And third, finally, we receive the privilege and the privileges of being part of his family. So let's just walk through our text and let's take time to understand what this means for us. Look back with me, verse 14. Paul writes, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now now just pause here for for just a moment because we're jumping in to Romans chapter eight right into the middle uh, of, of a section where Paul is actually making an argument for us. He's making an argument, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, that those who are in Jesus are under no condemnation. Right? There is no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus. And Paul begins that argument by saying it is because those who trust in Jesus are being led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, we looked at this just a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the doctrine of regeneration. We looked at the beginning of, of Romans chapter 8, and, and Paul is working through this and says it is because of the Holy Spirit who has changed our heart from following after sin to now following after Jesus. We've been given that new heart, and so Paul begins to now build on that argument. If we have been given a new heart, Paul says, now we are sons of God. And notice here, who does Paul uh, attribute this to? He says it's everyone, all who are led, by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. This is a promise. Every single believer in Jesus is given this promise. You are a child of God. You don't have to be a super Christian. You don't have to be, you know, super dedicated, whatever, only the elite of the elite. No, this is for everyone who trusts in Jesus. Right? Or, or we could kind of expand this to the rest of our series, to those who have been chosen by God, who've heard the gospel call, whose heart has been regenerated, who has responded in conversion, who's been justified. All those are now adopted into God's family. We are part of His family. This is not just a legal status. And sometimes I, I think we just need to understand this because sometimes we think about our salvation only in a a legal forensic kind of terms, that that God is a judge and He's he's given out uh, the, the penalty for our sin, but in His grace and mercy, He comes down off of the throne and He says, but I will take it for you. But sometimes we stop there That's where our understanding of salvation actually ends, and we think that God has said, well, I've taken the punishment, so now you better start working in order to earn my approval, or or you have to actually, you know, begin to to work in such a way that would please me, that God kind of casts us out on the street and says, well, you better do better this time, Instead, actually, the the image that we're given in Scripture is that God comes off His throne, He takes the punishment for our sins, and then says, now you come home with me. You are part of my family. In fact, look back at verse 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Father. This is not some sort of superficial definition of family, right? Every once in a while you hear um, businesses say, you know what, we're a big family here. I mean, I I get what they're going for, but that kind of cheapens the definition of what it means to be family. God here is saying, actually, we are a family, a a, a real actual family. You can call me dad. We approach God the same way that Jesus himself does. In fact, look down to verse 17. Verse 17 says, we are fellow heirs with Christ. Hebrews chapter two will say Jesus is our brother. And so the same way that Jesus can talk to God, we are given the privilege to be able to talk to him that way as well. Mark chapter 14, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Right, in the most intimate, desperate moment, Jesus is praying to God and He says, Abba, Father. And in fact, we are called to speak to God in the same way. Now, just to be clear, when we approach God as Abba, it's not talking about a band, all right? This is, this is the Aramaic word that's just being transliterated here in our text. It was the common word that was used when people would talk to their fathers, Right? So, so I think probably a good translation is simply dad, right? Or, or whatever you call your dad, whatever specific word you have for your dad, that's what's being addressed here. Now, I'm going to try not to use my kids for every single illustration from here on out, but you have to give me just a couple, all right? When we first met our kids, our, our foster parents, uh, their foster parents did an amazing job helping them get ready, understand what was going to happen. And so when we met our kids, they actually called us mom and dad right from the get-go. That's, that's not typical in adoption that was very unique and we're grateful for it. But just like every other kid, eventually they, they heard our names, right? And so Nova, my daughter, found it very, very funny to, to call me Jonathan, right? And, and she was giggling and laughing at that. And so I kind of sat down and I, and I looked at her. I said, you know, Nova, you actually get to call me dad. I said, there is no one else in the entire world besides you and your brother that gets to call me that. That is a name that is just for you. And it was this really precious moment. She just started crying, gave me a big hug. No, I'm kidding. She's three years old. She giggled and ran away, okay? (laughs) But in fact, that's what God does. God allows us to call him that name that nothing else in all of creation gets to call him. Not even the angels in heaven can refer to God as their father. That is a name reserved just for those who would trust in Jesus Christ because we are his family. We are his children. He is our dad who loves us, cares for us, provides for us, protects us because we're his children. All right, that's why when the Bible whenever talks about the, the church gathering, it, it always talks about us as brothers and sisters. It's because that's what we are. We have God as our Father. When the church gathers, it is not simply some gathering of strangers who might have something in agreement. It is family coming together. Right, the church is a precious, precious thing. We have the ability to call God our dad. In fact, not only that, in our adoption, we have access to God before Him that no one else has. I don't know if you've ever been around sort of a playground, and I still can't really do this, but I've seen, especially mums that they'll be standing around far away. They'll hear their kid cry over all of the other children who are yelling, screaming, crying, whatever, and they can hear their kids, and they go and help them. This is an amazing thing and I think that's exactly how we are to understand God. He actually hears us when we cry to Him. It's not the crying of a stranger, it's someone He knows, loves, and cares for. And hear me, it's not just that He hears us when we cry, it's that it's about who He is. It's about the one we are calling. Notice again verse 15. Paul here, he sets up this weird contrast. He says, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You receive the spirit of adoption to call God dad. And you might say, well, how, what exactly is he contrasting here? How does calling God dad keep us from, from slavery and fear? And it's because of whose child you are. If the one who rules all the universe, who creates things out of nothing, who knows all things, who controls all things, who is without rival in all things is your dad... You have nothing to be afraid of. If the one who has justified you, declared you righteous, you fear no condemnation. If the one who raised Jesus from the dead is your dad, you don't fear slavery or bondage. Because he can bring the dead to life. We belong to the family of God and we have nothing to fear. What should we be worried about? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, if God would even provide for the flowers in the field, how much more will he provide for his children? Luke chapter 11, if even earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will our perfect heavenly father give us good gifts? We have been given a place to belong in the family of God and he loves us us, at the root and the core of what it means to belong in the family of God, it means we are loved by Him. For everyone who trusts in Jesus, you are deeply loved by God as His children. We belong to Him. We are part of His family, and if we belong to God, we have nothing to fear. For all who trust in Jesus, we are part of the family of God. And if we are part of His family, it means we are also given the assurance of our adoption. Look back at our passage. Verse 16, Paul outlines the second benefit we have here. It says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul seems to be expecting a question after all of this. He says, how do I know if this is for me? How do I know if I really am a a child of God? And maybe this is a question you've been asking. Maybe throughout this series, how do I really know if I am saved? If everyone who is saved is a child of God, how do I know if that's me? It's a good question to be asking because our salvation doesn't really depend on anything that we can accomplish. I can't tell you, hey, go, go check off the box on our website, on our welcome card, and then you'll be fine. Pray this prayer, and then everything's okay. No, no, in fact, we depend on what, what Jesus has done, so the question is then how do I know if this is me? And, and you might read this verse and, and say to yourself, oh, okay, well, it's, it's if my spirit feels it, then it's true. And that is exactly backwards. Look look again at at verse 16. Who starts this? The Spirit Himself bears witness. Right? It begins with the objective declaration of the Holy Spirit, and our spirit then aligns with Him. See, salvation is not dependent on how we are going to feel at any given time. Praise God, it doesn't. Our salvation depends on the objective, historical work of Jesus on the cross who paid for my sins, and it is by faith, by simple trust in him, in what he has done, that I am saved. And so here's the question. If you're wondering, is that me? Do you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus for your forgiveness? That's the question doesn't matter if you feel like you're good enough. You're not. But if your answer is yes, I want nothing to do with my sins and I trust Jesus is the only one who can save me, then hear me, your feelings are not what determines it before God, for the Holy Spirit himself will testify on our behalf. Our call is then align our thoughts, our hearts with him. Let the truth of what Jesus has done sink in, and the more and more we rely on Him and not how we feel at a given moment, the more and more we actually align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, and the beautiful thing that happens is we actually have this assurance that we are saved. Here is what I'm just going to say is one of the harder things to describe in the Christian life. Early church fathers would talk about it as the sort of mystical element of our faith. That is, that is... The fact that the Christian walk contains both the objective things that have happened in Jesus and yet also our experience as we follow along. And we begin to line ourselves up more with what God has testified about us. I said at the beginning, it still feels very surreal to me that we have kids. Because it it was a quick thing right? Suddenly, we we now have kids. This has changed. I am now a, a, a father. They're my kids. And yet, it still feels strange to me, yet the more time I spend with them, the more and more that that feeling begins to fade as I continue to understand how my identity has changed. In such a greater way, this is what happens to us when we come into God's family, We don't just even start as strangers, we start as enemies before God, justly under His wrath, and yet in Jesus, we are transformed, declared, righteous, and now are beloved members of His family. And it takes time for us to actually feel like that change has happened, but the more and more we spend with the Holy Spirit, the more and more that we follow His leading, the more and more we are given that assurance that we are a child of God. Our spirit catches up to the identity we now have in Him. We are given that assurance that the adoption has taken place, not based on how we feel, but based on the testimony of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. So being adopted means we now belong to a new family, God's family, and we're given this assurance by the Holy Spirit Finally, thirdly, the third benefit that that Paul outlines is we're given the privileges of being in his family. We receive these privileges. Look back with me at verse 17. It says, and if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. See, Paul is arguing if we are children, if that has happened, if that reality, reality is there, that means we are heirs. We gain an inheritance from God Himself alongside Jesus. And that is an amazing promise. Here, here Paul is really drawing on this, this Roman idea of adoption. So, what you might not be aware, adoption was not uncommon in the Roman Empire. It was just very different than how we think of it. Right? Adoption wasn't done in, in, in the Roman Empire with, with infants or, or young children. No, in fact, it was, it was usually older teenagers or, or people in their 20s. Right? And what would happen is an older, uh, wealthy couple, individual would want someone to give their wealth to And so they would look and they would find someone who they think would represent them well, who can carry on their name, who's worthy of inheriting all of this, and then give their wealth, their business, their property, whatever it is, it would all go to them, right? It was adoption with a goal in mind. And Paul says, that's what God is doing with you. God has adoption with a goal in mind. In fact, you are going to inherit all of the riches that God has that are promised to us in Jesus Christ. We shall receive all of them. Eternal life shall be with God. In fact, Paul continues on a little bit later in the chapter, verse 23, he says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption— as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says, look, we are adopted now, but yet there is a greater fulfillment of that yet to come when we will live with God forever, where we are fully released from the sinful bodies that we live in, and we shall uh, experience all the joy of heaven. But see, here's the difference between how the Romans thought about adoption and how God does. Romans, they they looked for someone who was worthy to inherit their name and their wealth and then adopted them. God adopts people who aren't worthy and gives them an inheritance and makes them worthy, transforms them into someone who carries on their name. In fact, when God adopts us as His children, He is going to raise us to be like Him. And here's where we come to that little confusing part right at the end of verse 17. Paul says, we're going to gain this inheritance alongside Christ. And then he says, provided we suffer with Him. And you might look at that and think, wait, what's that? Is that some sort of condition now we have to to fulfill in order to gain the inheritance of heaven? Now we have to suffer? I mean, do we have to go out and find some kind of suffering for us? First of all, no. (laughs) That's not what Paul is talking about. I think it's best explained by by actually the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, since therefore… Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. See, I think the suffering that Peter has in mind is the same suffering that Paul has in mind. It's the suffering that happens when we deny sin. When we say, I will not continue on in my sin, in fact, I want nothing more to do with it, there are repercussions to that. We face suffering on account of being a child of God. Sometimes they're external. People get mad at us that we won't join in with what they're doing, think the way they think, talk the way they talk, act the way they act, and there's persecution, mockery, all manner of hardships that can come. But There's also an internal suffering that happens as we deny our own sinful nature, and that is that sin nature raises up its ugly head, causing us, calling us to follow after our old vices. As we wage that spiritual warfare, there is suffering in denying of sin. The one who ceases from sin will face suffering, yet that is the mark of a child of God. Paul isn't saying go out and find suffering in order to be a child of God. To be one of God's children means we will face suffering as we fight against sin, right? Now, this is already bringing us into our next topic. For next week, we're going to talk all about sanctification and what that means as we continue to grow in holiness, but it starts here with our adoption. When we are brought into the family of God, God will begin to treat us as His children, Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We have the privilege of being His children, which means we have the privilege of being disciplined by God. You might say, that, that doesn't sound like a privilege, actually. That, that sounds like the opposite of a privilege, but that's exactly how Hebrews describes it. If God reproves us, corrects us, it's because He cares so much about us, He doesn't want us to continue in harmful, sinful behavior. It would not be loving for God to allow us to continue in our sin unchecked. That would mean we're not His children. In fact, chapter 1 of Romans Paul describes part of the wrath of God as allowing people to simply go on in their sinful behavior without stopping. It's not loving to allow your child to play with a hot stove. It's not loving to say to a toddler, here's a knife, go play in the middle of the road. No, no, that's, that's neglectful, that's, that's hatred of your children. God loves his children and so he disciplines and calls us to live in purity and holiness. It is for our good and so the privilege of being part of the family of God is that we, one, receive all the riches of heaven and two, we receive the discipline that God gives us that we might be more like him. See, God has not chosen those who are worthy to carry on his name. He has given us his name, and then he makes us worthy. See, that is what he does in adoption for us. We are truly his children, and one day we will live with him forever. Adoption is not temporary. It is the radical change of where we belong, our identity and our assurance, it is the privilege of both that we have both now and in the future. See so here is what is promised for every single believer. No one has been born into the right family. No one was born with the right biological family. All of us have been born into sin and we were lost. Children of wrath, we needed adoption into a new family and in Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. We call the king of the universe, dad. He loves us, he takes care of us, he gives us the assurance that we are his children. He gives us an inheritance alongside Jesus, our brother, that we might live with him and makes us worthy to carry on his name. So let me ask you, is that how you know God? Do you know God as your Father who loves you? Or have you stopped simply with God as the judge? He might clear your sins, but then you have to work for His approval. That's not what our salvation consists of. In fact, in Jesus Christ, we are called into the very palace, royal family of God. Do you know God like this? Let me invite you today. This is open to everyone who would trust in Jesus Christ. Would you repent of your sins and trust in him today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, that we can call you Father. That you would hear us when we call. That you would listen to us, Lord, that we belong to you. You are our dad who has loved us who sent Jesus into this world that we might be justified and that we might be adopted into your family. Father, I pray would you continue to work in us. Lord, I pray would you continue to discipline us that we would walk more and more like you, that we would be worthy of the name to which you have called us. Father, we praise you. praise you for what you have done. And Father, we rest in your family, in your grace and your mercy towards us. We thank you for all your gifts. Amen. Amen.